Hi, this is Ben Lowell with Back to the Bible Canada and Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we're continuing our Canada Day 150th anniversary series today, a series called I Am Truly Canadian, with an interview about our nation with Dr. John Redekop. So let's join Dr. John Newfeld now. Hi, welcome to Back to the Bible. It's Dr. John Newfeld, and we have a very special guest in the studio today. His name is Dr. John Redekop, and it's been my privilege to know him for a great many years. But before we begin our conversation, let me introduce him to you. Uh, John Redekop is, first of all, the author of a number of books, Politics Under God, The Christian and Civil Disobedience. He's written a number of articles about Christians in the political order. Uh, For many years, he appeared on a Canadian talk show, Cross Currents. He is the past president of the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada. He's taught political science 26 years at Wilfrid Laurier in Ontario, another 15 years at Trinity Western. He's also taught in California. I've seen him on a number of occasions on the CBC being interviewed on a number of different political questions. But more than anything else, Dr. John Redekop is a believer in Jesus Christ. And John, welcome to the studios of Back to the Bible. What a joy to have you. Thank you. It's a privilege to be here. Thank you. Well, uh, we have so much to talk about. And uh, of course, we're celebrating Canada Day. So let's just jump right into this. And uh, in our conversation, uh, we began to talk about a number of issues that were pretty important. And one of the things that I really got from you is Uh, your statement to me that there is a confusion today in terms of how Christians are viewing government. Is it our enemy? Is it our friend? So forth. So could you talk to that a bit? How should Christians view the government as a whole? Uh, Thank you. Certainly. uh, Some Christians think of government as an agency which takes their money and does very little good for them. To these people, I would say, travel in the world. You will find your answer. There's another group that sees government as an agency issuing so many rules and regulations that they're losing freedom. I remember the late uh, President Richard Nixon saying once on television, every time a law is passed, you lose a little freedom. I sat up because he's profoundly wrong. Some laws increase freedom, some decrease freedom. And that's why we have governments deciding which laws are good and which should not be enacted. Now, John, this is very important for you to share this because I think that we have fallen into a trap. Just as Canadians, we complain about government all the time. But I think you're calling for believers to have a very specific biblical view of government. Absolutely. I, when I talk about this to believers, and I do so quite frequently, I like to begin with Colossians 1.16, where we read very clearly, By him, all things have been made, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. When I first read that, I wondered, now, what will these things be that are being cited in Paul's letter? And lo and behold, he mentions four political items, whether thrones or powers or rulers, authorities, all created by him, And for him, to unpack all of those truths would take a long time. But the basic issue is that our Lord Jesus here describes himself as the creator of government. Now, some people say, but Jesus saw things differently. Ah, just a moment. Go to John 
1911, where Jesus is being given a pretty bad time by Pilate. And what does he say? You would have no power over me were it not given to you from above. So whether you take Pauline's writings or you take Jesus' writings, it is very clear that government is God's gift to a fallen society. People who do not accept the Lordship of Christ are not set aside by Jesus. His love extends to them, and I call it God's plan B. For those who don't accept his Lordship, his love is still there. He creates order. He wants the church, his people, to be about their business, and even those who reject him to live in decency and not in anarchy. Boy, that's so important. Uh, sometimes that has been called by theologians common grace. Indeed. And indeed. that's a grace that's just afforded to everyone regardless of their own faith commitment. But let's get back to this issue of how we see government because a lot of Christians are afraid at this moment in time because we have a secular government. We're afraid that laws are being passed that are going to curtail our faith. And so we see it as a kind of an enemy or at best it can be a neutral party but we hardly ever see it as something that works in our favor. But I think what I've heard you say is that it does work in our favor. Yes, a government can be very beneficial for all of society. It can also be very oppressive. I remember being in the Soviet Union a number of times, and once I had the privilege of being a member of an interdenominational delegation of four people being in the Kremlin, negotiating with the Commissar for Religious Affairs, trying to get more freedom for Christians and for other religious groups as well. So what, what we need to keep in mind here, Christians and for that matter others too, that we need to have kind of a complex view of government. We thank God for it, but precisely because it's fallen, we join with those groups and organizations that challenge it to live up to God's expectations. I remember once in the Parliament buildings in a large room just next to the House of Commons, I was invited to speak to parliamentarians, and I pointed out to them that God expects them to live according to a certain ethic. I call a right ethic, not a righteousness ethic. That can apply to Nebuchadnezzar, whatever. Remember, he was found wanting, not because he wasn't a believer, but because he was an evil ruler. And that it happens time and again. So we have an obligation to be the conscience of society. I call it the modern good Samaritans in a way. We do collectively what we do individually in this country because we have the opportunity. We challenge government to live up to its own charter of rights, its own constitution, its own laws, to be fair to the marginalized, the exploited. We ought to be speaking up for others and also to claim our own rights. And sometimes we are too apologetic. So I thank God for government. And then I also pray, but please keep them in line, dear God. There's a tendency to go too far. Yeah, well, that's, I guess that's a result of living in a fallen world. But this is very interesting because sometimes, uh, John, I think that there are those believers that kind of want to crawl in a little bit of a hole and, and not be seen by the government as a whole. But you're actually asking believers to speak prophetically to the government. That is, there is a role that only the church can play uh, in relationship to the government. So 
were in effect a great blessing to government, whereas they were also a blessing to us. Indeed. Let me briefly tell you a little experience I had way back years ago in Ontario. I read an article written by uh, an inter-Canadian Asian, I, I believe of the Sikh faith. Here's what he said. Do not challenge the Christians to get rid of Christmas. Do not challenge them when they teach Christian virtues in the schools. We came here because in our country, that was not permitted. When the teaching of Christianity dies, then we will lose the benefits which brought us here in the first place. I have kept the article. I discovered who the writer was. He said it is the Christian teaching which gives us, the multi-faith, the multicultural groups, the freedom for which we came to this country. So, in effect, what we've been saying this week, John, is that, I mean, there was a time in the history of this nation when, you know, Christianity truly was the predominant faith and really was the only faith in this country. But I think if I'm hearing you correctly, it's that background to our country that has provided the kinds of rights and freedoms that we have. Uh, Dr. Neufeld, it works this way. Societies, the ethics of societies change gradually. And even when Christian faith has subsided or even largely disappeared, a Christian ethos, an ethic, lingers on. And there are many elements to this. This often can last a generation or two. Some key elements in this Christian ethic are choice. That is central in the Old Testament and in the New. Choose you this day. Will you follow me? Choose, choose. Most faiths don't have this. The Jewish faith does but other faiths generally do not. And that ethic and some others emphasis on equality, integrity, honesty, fair play. This continues even when Christianity itself is not so deeply rooted in society. What we're seeing in Europe now, in fact, for the last 30 years, is for the first time in 1900 years, perhaps, a decline of the Christian ethos. The decline of Christianity happened in the last century. The decline of Christian ethos is largely happening now. Thank you. Uh, we're going to be back on this, and uh, this is such an important conversation because I think it will help frame for us what God wants us to be in this country at this time in our history. Coming this August is our newest issue of Truth and Life magazine. This issue will focus on family from parenting to grandparenting, the worshiping family, and how to engage a family member who is struggling with their walk of faith. All this and more is available, and all you need to do is ask for your free bi-monthly subscription to Truth and Life magazine. Also included are updates and information on all Back to the Bible Canada exclusive offers, events, and regular content that includes Dr. Newfeld's daily scripture reading plan, an article from Phil Calloway and In Doubt's own Isaac Dagno, and so much more. Also, be sure to look for August's free Bible resource, yours just for the asking. So call 1-800-663-2425 or sign up online at backtothebible.ca to get your free subscription today and ensure you're not too late to get the upcoming issue of Truth and Life magazine. Well, I'm back again with Dr. John Redekop, and Dr. Redekop, what a joy it is to have you in the studio. 
And during the break, we had an, a very interesting conversation. It had something to do with your experience uh, in Russia. And I think our listeners need to hear what you had to say. So uh, uh, tell us about a meeting that you had that I think is, is very significant. I'll gladly, uh, gladly recall that. And it does illustrate that in this country, too, Christians need to take an oppor- the opportunity to speak to government. Frankly, they need to hear us. It was about uh, 1986 when I was a member of a four-person delegation from the Western world, all evangelicals of various denominations, who had managed somehow, I think through the Baptist World Federation, to arrange a meeting in the Kremlin with a commissar for religious affairs. Now, uh, I'm a lay minister. We were presented as clergymen. What the, the commissar didn't know is that also I'm a political scientist. So we came immediately to the point. We would like more freedom for evangelicals in the Soviet Union. And this was still the Soviet Union, not Russia. Uh, He said, well, after a lot of discussion, what would you really like? Well, uh, we had received information from the All-Union Baptist Christian Office in Moscow. We said we would like more opportunity for more services. Secondly, we would like opportunity for children to be in the services. Thirdly, we would like permission for evangelicals to print literature. It was totally verboten, nothing. And fourthly, and this surprised me and them, we would like the opportunity to send alms money, they called it, to the needy, also abroad. Well, he said, we'll consider what we'll do. I had in my possession a document translated into English issued by the Soviet government which said, if we want to achieve the goals of our five-year plan, and this was their last five-year plan, but they didn't know it, We need to appoint more evangelical Christians to government. We need to do this, and they listed the reasons, because they're honest, they don't come to work drunk, they come on time, and we can trust them. There are a number of reasons. I pulled this out and started reading it to the good comrade who sat across the table from me. We each had our own translator. I had my three preaching colleagues with me. His jaw dropped. I had the document. I wouldn't give it to him, but I held it. I still have it. He said, what do you want? We had checked in Moscow with Executive General Bichkov, and he said, and we told the comrade, we wanted these items, repeated what we had said, The fact of the matter is, in not too many weeks or even months, all were granted. I am sure many other groups pressed for it. But it it, it can be done that we can be the salt even in red earth. Wow, wow. Well, I do know that that story sounds very similar to uh, some of the accounts that did come out of China in which uh, all sorts of uh, factory foremen would give allowances for believers to meet together for Bible studies on their grounds simply because the more that believers increased, the more productivity increased in some of those factories. And so room was made for believers. And, and I think that that kind of an idea of salt and light in the earth. Now, now Dr. Radikoff, I want to switch gears just a bit with you, and I want to talk about something else that I think is very important, and I know it's close to your heart as well, and it's, it's the issue of tolerance in Canada today. How should we define tolerance? Because repeatedly we're being told that believers' historic evangelical positions are intolerant. Help us through that discussion. 
As we approach the 150th celebration of the birth of this privileged country, we do well to remind ourselves of the following. Most of us are immigrants or descendants of immigrants. There are many cultures and races, and we, God's people, affirm them as equal in God's sight. There's equality of culture and ultimate worth. Unfortunately, in our day, this has shifted to another concept. We now have much more of a multi-religious society, not one in which 80, 90 percent identified themselves as, as Christians, whether liberal, conservative, whatever. Now, there are many other faiths, and the notion has developed that accepting as equal the races and cultures means we should accept as equal the various faiths. That is to be tolerant. If you say, for example, your faith can be demonstrated perhaps to be more valid than some other faith, then you're intolerant. That is the wrong use of intolerance. Intolerance means politically and ethically giving full freedom, not affirming full validity. That's a different matter. So let's see if we can spell that out in some way that you know can make that very practical in people's lives. The idea of tolerance as you've defined it, that is, I would give freedom for anyone to practice whatever religion they have. So that is actually a Christian value, is it? Absolutely. I've been a member of a delegation in Ottawa going to bat for a minority faith, quite a legitimate faith, that they should have a right to practice their faith. Uh, Otherwise, all religions could be threatened. And they were amazed when we went to see the minister that we were there to advocate for somebody else. So I think that needs to be said. As believers, we believe that Christ is the only way to God. However, we at the same time also believe that we ought to give freedom for people to practice religions that may directly contradict our faith. Is that what we're saying? Absolutely. It goes back to the children of Israel leaving Egypt. It wasn't God who directed them to spend 40 years in the wilderness. He gave them freedom to choose, and they didn't choose very wisely. Uh, and, and, and all the way from the Old Testament to the New, you have choice. That's how God lives, operates with us. That's one reason why we also give choice. But that doesn't mean all choices are equally valid. It means that all should have freedom of expression uh, within very broad limits, uh, but not that all are equally valid or have to be equally affirmed Uh, That's another whole question. Yeah, okay. So that's very helpful so that tolerance is tolerance to express religious freedom. Now, you've also said that from your perspective, Canada is not a multicultural society. It's a multi-religious society. That's fascinating to me. Could you explain that? Well, it it, it actually is both, Dr. Newfield. There are many cultures and races, which is a word people don't use, but it is a good word. There are multi-races and cultures I I couldn't count how many, but if you put a Swede along somebody from Tonga, I can tell the difference. There are many multi-races and and, uh, cultures, and we affirm them all. We are also multi-religious, and that's a different matter. And here we say they have the same basic freedoms. That's hard for some of us to understand. That means the more we're becoming multi-religious, the more some institutions— like schools particularly, and maybe prisons at elsewhere, cannot uh, give preferred treatment, as they did historically, to Christian faith, to the Gideons and so on. I was just working with the school board in this area, 
And the idea was, finally, we agreed, yes, you can produce and make this literature available, provided that same right is given to others. We have no problem with that. As it happened, no other group came forward. But they have a right to. So I will go to bat for the rights of all religions, but I will particularly go to bat for the particular validity of Christianity. You can do both. Yeah, and I think you can. And I think the other confidence that we ought to have, that if there is a free marketplace of ideas, then I believe the Christian faith wins because it simply is more attractive. I mean, only we have this gospel of a loving God who sent his son. I mean, that that is so wonderful. I don't think that we need laws that will protect uh, the, the, the supremacy of that. I, I'd be happy in a free marketplace of ideas to present the gospel. A few years ago, when I was on a mission board, I traveled in the Congo, in India, pardon me. I was in both places in India. We're going to Jadkarla, and I'll tell you the story very briefly. With me in the back of of the taxi was a Hindu physician. We were going to a a Christian hospital. And the question was, and our mission board was considering whether we should close it down. He said, don't you Christians do that. We Hindus do not build hospitals for the outcasts and the lower castes. You did. You provided the first ones. I'm a Hindu, but I'm begging you as a Christian. I was secretary of the board. Do not close your hospital. We do not do what you do. Wow. Dr. John Redekop, what a joy to have had you today on Back to the Bible Canada. I would just like to ask you at some time in the future, would you come back? Indeed. I've had a lot of experience and interesting stories in my life. Yes, you have. And so what a joy it is to have had you today. And uh, thank you for listening to Back to the Bible Canada as we celebrate 150 years as a nation. Wow, that was an incredible interview. Dr. Redekop has so much experience, and uh, uh, we, we would be delighted to have him back again. But, John, one of the things I want to ask you about is the importance of living out our faith. You know, I, I think it's critical. As we live out our faith, people see the authenticity. They understand what Christianity is all about, and they can only be drawn to it. Yeah, there are so many things about the Christian faith that we need to help individuals to understand. Uh, one is that we have the only faith that teaches that God is love. I mean, we need to trumpet that loudly. Ben, if I might mention one more thing that seems, you know, overt to me. Uh, there are a number of times now that the income tax department has challenged some of my claims, and they have to do with my giving. Their thought was, nobody gives that much. And I just want to say, that's a joy, because nobody gives as much as believers do. We are indeed the salt of the light here. Thanks so much, John. We look forward to continuing our series tomorrow, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. One hundred and fifty years as a nation, and back to the Bible, Canada will be spending a week celebrating our country and discovering how we, as Canadians, must continue to live out and share the good news to our nation. Join us all week for Dr. Newfeld's new series, "I Am Truly Canadian." And during the month of July, make sure to ask for our "I Am Truly Canadian" commemorative display card. This card reminds us of our Christian heritage through our national anthem, Psalm 72, verse 8, which was the impetus for naming our country a dominion and offers a word of encouragement and challenge from Dr. John Newfeld. 
So order a copy of Dr. Neufeld's teaching series, I Am Truly Canadian, for only $8 plus shipping and taxes, and ask for your free I Am Truly Canadian commemorative display card by calling 1-800-663-2425 or visit us online at backtothebible.ca.